0: Hey everyone, welcome. You're listening to Hey Man. My name is Avi Klein. I'm a psychotherapist and I'm joined by my co-host Sam Graham-Felson, a novelist. Each week we're going to answer your questions and hopefully get a few of our own answered as well. Uh, And today we're going to do it with the help of a guest and our guest is Thomas Page McBee. Uh, If you don't know Thomas, Thomas is the author of two books. Uh, The first is uh, a memoir called Man Alive, and the second is Amateur, which is a reported memoir about Thomas uh, learning how to box in order to understand uh, the relationship between masculinity and violence. And uh, as a result of that, Thomas uh, is the first trans man to box in Madison Square Garden. And this was a really cool conversation. I think one of uh, one of our favorites so far. Uh, we talk about Thomas's uh, background, getting getting started in writing. Uh, we talk a lot about fighting. Uh, Sam continues to ask people about uh, whether his son should fight. Um, and then we get into uh, a good advice question for anyone who's ever, uh, if you've ever had one of those moments where I don't know, you question whether you've been, if you notice you've been drinking a lot lately or smoking a lot of weed, this kind of touches on some of that stuff. Uh, talk, Just talking about our own experiences with, you know, what you might call depression, I guess. So you don't have to label it that, but um, struggling with your mood, motivation, relying on smoking or drinking to get you through the day or to take the edge off of the end of the day. Um, so... I think there are a lot of helpful things, a lot of helpful suggestions that come out of this. Um, It turns out that everyone meditates. That's one of them. Uh, So give it a listen. I think you'll enjoy. Thanks. So the other day I had this experience that made me think about you. Yeah. Which was, um, so in my office, like sometimes people buzz me, like they buzz the wrong uh, apartment or whatever. And so I came out and this guy wanted to, Uh, speak with the super Uh and I was like oh like you know that it's his buzzer like you gotta buzz this one not me yeah and he got like really angry at me Uh and I was like look like you just gotta buzz him. like you just buzzed the wrong place yeah and then he was like are you scared like why are you so scared why are you so scared of me and uh it was like I, I was so uh like alarmed yeah and and had this strange reaction where I was like I'm not scared yeah <laughs> but like I I mean this is New York like of course I'm scared you're a stranger yeah. I don't know you and totally. felt so embarrassed yeah. to be scared and like he had like done this really like quick mind trick on yeah. me and called me out what happened it... oh I just walked away yeah but like it stayed with me for a long yeah. time I mean two days later I still feel like I can feel a little like pissed about it
1: do you think you were angry do you think he sensed or picked up on you being angry in some sort of deeper way? Like when, when guys tried to fight me, that's what I ultimately thought was going on for myself.
0: Yeah. I mean like <laughs> that he felt like that you were angry
1: that he, that yeah, I felt that in retrospect, I was angry. Like my mom had just died and, mm-hmm. and, and and I was walking around. I had a lot of rage Yeah, and I wasn't like saying I'm angry, but like I, I think I was giving off the impression.
0: I mean, I was definitely <laughs> like, I get pissed. I was in the middle of a session with people yeah. with someone. So like, I was pissed uh, to be interrupted. Yeah, and then like, like I grew up in the city. Like I would never let a stranger into my house. Yeah, and then his like indignance that I was doing something wrong. Like then I got pissed. But I felt like he was taking out something else on me. Like why? What did this have to do with anything? Yeah, Um, clearly
1: projecting onto you. Yeah,
0: because you weren't because the (laughs) super wasn't there. Yeah, Yeah. Um, (laughs) but yeah. So I guess that. I was thinking about that and thinking about, like, about your book yeah. and dealing with this. I, I guess after reading your book, like, that kind of exchange, I, I actually sort of, like, uh, ignored those most of the time and hadn't yeah. felt, like, quite attuned to that weird sort of pissing contest that happens yeah. between men.
2: Yeah. able to ignore those moments? Yeah. Well, like, I, (laughs) they drive me crazy. I don't know. I mean... What do you do? I uh, usually act like a coward. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've never been in a fistfight in my life. Uh I usually act like a coward, but then I feel, like, pissed off about it afterwards. And I feel, I mean, you know, I feel, like, sort of stereotypically emasculated. Mm -hmm. And um, I get bitter for for a while. Um, The only time I'm ever... The, my wife always teases me about this the only time i'm ever sort of um stereotypical masculine rage dude is when i'm walking with my kids and somebody tries to like take a left turn right in front of us uh-huh. yeah like it happened yesterday morning my wife always gets so mad at me yeah and then i'm i always like yell at the person then but in yeah. general i'm like you know so i was like yeah i don't know i'm impressed by anyone who who can like actually stand up and um sort of give it back to somebody on the street the way you... Do. Well, maybe maybe <laughs> Thomas should just tell <laughs> the story about yeah, what I, you're yeah, referring
1: to. I mean, to. I don't know how impressive it really was. I feel like I, the truth I mean, was... I am impressed, but also, obviously... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was... So um, my book, Amateur, is about uh, me training to fight for a fight in Madison Square Garden, and along the way, like, it was an amateur bout, and I, um, along the way, ask all these questions about masculinity, and then I report them out. And the reason I wrote the book was because I'm trans, and I, I transitioned when I was 30, and so I sort of got, like... Um, Catapulted into socialized masculinity in a way that I think very few people can say they have been and so as an adult I was sort of noticing things all the time that were like troubling to me Some things were like privileges, which I knew I would be gaining and I was trying to be thoughtful about those but other things were like ways that I felt really like um, Sort of cloistered emotionally and like I couldn't be myself and I was shocked by that because I felt really good about my body, but I felt like in the world there were so many limitations to how I was supposed to be p- behaving. And one way that was coming out was like after my mom died and I was, it was very sudden and I was, I was really in grief, like I felt very sure that if I expressed anything besides anger, it made other people uncomfortable. So it was making me really angry, I guess. Like all the, all the feelings were going towards anger, which is why I was mentioning earlier, like I, I think I was giving off that vibe or something because for three months in a row in that summer, uh, guys tried to fight me in the street, like street fight me. And so the book starts with like the last one, which is what led me to ask this question about why do men fight? Because I, it was like such a ridiculous encounter. Like I was taking a picture of a restaurant. The guy thought I was taking a picture of his car. We had this bizarre argument and I was really just so fed up with all of it. I think that I felt myself like really like turning more and more towards like, this is going to, this is gonna be a fight. I'm gonna I'm a 34-year-old man at this point. Yeah. I'm gonna have a street fight with a drunk guy in front of my apartment. You know, like <laughs> that's who I am right now. Uh so anyway, I kinda of like flipped out more like verbally on him, and I think he just thought I was crazy. And so he just like took off and was like, whoa, okay, dude. Yeah. But after that, I was like, what's so different about him and me? You know, like not a lot. I obviously had the same reaction that he did, ultimately. Mm-hmm. I felt really hooked by him. Um, so that's why I, I, I really felt like if I could ask this question of like, why do men fight? Maybe, you know, even men who feel like they're better than that or even men who think they're quote, good guys or whatever, like why do we get sucked into this dynamic? Maybe I could understand more about the things that were troubling me about being a man. So I could, I could be more authentic in, in this expression of who I was. And uh, anyway, I found out a lot of things that were about all, all masculinities, not just my own particular experience.
0: Well, and, and I, my impression is like sort of by the end of the book, you seem to have come to a different place about men fighting and yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, where where did where did it sit Well, now?
1: I think not a different place about street fighting. Yeah. I think yeah. that's an expression of aggression that almost always is needless. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think your example about with your kid, like I don't know if that's actually that need. I think that that's kind of fair. Like if somebody almost runs over my kid, I probably am going to have a,
2: well, my wife's argument. Reaction. So my wife's argument is always that, um, a, <clears throat> the other person's in like a, 5,000 pound okay, piece of metal enough. that they could run you over. Yeah. Or you never know if like it's New York and right. like somebody just like might get out of the car with a bat or a gun. Right. <laughs> right? That's true. That's true. Um, but, uh, but be like, um, you know, what am I, mo- what am I modeling for my kid right. when I do it in front of, I have a two and a half year old son when right. I do it in front of him, et cetera. Right. But, um, but my, my reaction always defensively in the moment is like, well, like if I don't stand up and yell at this person, like they can just recklessly like, you know, endanger other people all the and I realize though, like as yeah. I'm saying this, like my righteous stand is not gonna fucking change this person's mind probably and like not. make them more humane next time. Yeah. So it, it kinda does seem like street fighting is probably Generally not <laughs> a good idea. But, but
1: I think aggression is natural. Yeah. And I guess like and for everyone. And I think that was the big thing I took away from from learning to box was like, I mean, in that context where it's consensual and that whole point is, you know, you're agreeing to fight. And in fact, actually there's a lot of camaraderie and teamwork in the training and, um, and even the fight itself is a sport. So that experience of learning to be sort of in relationship with aggression appropriately and express it in a way that, that is correct. And for the, for the environment, I thought that was actually really useful for me, like physically, but also like psychologically outside of boxing. And and it really convinced me that actually learning to work with aggression as a force is really important for all of us, especially people who haven't been socialized to do it and actually for like modeling for kids and stuff. It's like, what's appropriate assertion versus like inappropriate assertion versus pretending like nobody ever asserts themselves. You know, like Mm -hmm. I think that actually became a more interesting question in the end for me.
0: Um, there, I, So I have a bunch of questions about the book, but I'm also wondering if you can kind of orient us a little to like how you arrived at where, like, so you've written now like two memoirs, mm-hmm. but can you kind of fill us in a little bit about like your, your path to get.
1: Yeah. There? Well, I'd say the second one is less of a memoir, okay, more of a like, it's like a non, it's meant to be a nonfiction book with an eye yeah. narrator yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, only because it's like really researched. And I talked to a lot of sociologists and psychologists and, um, historians and, and all kinds of folks to make sure it had, like, a rich, broader context. Right. But um, but how did I get to the point of writing these two books? And, so, like,
0: even to, like, like when did you start writing? Oh,
1: when I was a kid, yeah. I've always written, like, thank God for that. I feel like it's been the only constant, really, you know, besides my family and my life. And um, so I always had that as, like, an instrument of expression. And I think just my life has been unique in the way, in in the sense of, I'm like literally extraordinary. And then I'm a part of a small fraction of a certain kind of experience. And so, you know, I just write about what's interesting to me and it's for for a while it's been thinking about gender who knows if that will always be true, but it's an area that I think uh, especially masculinity is an area where there are things we don't talk about when we talk about masculinity that I I found it a fruitful area to discuss Mm -hmm. uh, with, with others. So, but you know, on the other hand, I think a lot about like monsters, and like uh, I probably no. my next project will be about monstrosity, which is also really interesting to me. Yeah. So, um, so I don't know. I, I started as a kid as a writer. I did some freelancing, uh, right, sort of after college and in college, and then I went to grad school for fiction, uh-huh. uh, and then I went back into journalism full time for like a long time, and wrote my both books while. While well, working as a journalist, and then got a call about working on a TV show uh, about a year and a half ago, and I've been working in television as well as journalism for the last like year and a half. So,
2: what's the TV show?
1: Uh, the first show I worked on was Tales of the City, which is coming out next month, and like then a the reboot of it, the reboot, yeah, that's exciting. And the second one is also a reboot of The L Word, which <laughs> will be coming out later this year from Showtime.
2: Cool. Where did you do your um, MFA?
1: SF State. Cool. Yeah.
2: So, do you do you still write any fiction or?
1: Well, I guess the TV shows have been kind of a yeah. way back in, but but it's been really cool because I've been thinking about, now it's like I'm at a point where I can think of an idea for a project and then think, well, would this be better as a film, as a TV show, as a novel, you know, as a reported piece of some kind? Like, you know, so I'm, like, I'm at the point where I, I'm starting to try to integrate and try different forms for different things. So um, the fiction background was helpful in getting back into TV.
2: By the way, speaking of monsters, <clears throat> that made me think of something that... Um I don't know why I'm talking so much about my wife today, but um, right. <laughs> but it made me think of something that she said um, uh, when she got pregnant the second time, mm-hmm. um, she was just getting really like annoyed at like just all the like, different ways her body was changing and that she had no say in it, whatever, like, you know, and different things happened to your hair and all, yeah. all kinds of things happened. And she was like, she had an interesting theory. She was like, "I, I wonder if the idea of like a werewolf. Comes from oh, just the transformation of like a woman when she gets pregnant yeah. or something. You know, because huh. she, she said, like, I feel like a monster. Like, I feel like I'm transformed into a different thing. That's <laughs> <But> so <laughs> anyway, fascinating. Thought, so maybe something to explore <laughs> in your yeah, mind. Yeah, we'll <laughs> look into that. <laughs> yeah. That's,
1: I mean, like, another interesting thing about monsters, just a fun fact, real quick, is yeah. like a lot of um, medieval monsters, like, were the idea of them came from this idea that like you could see evil expressed externally. So like when people had deformities and stuff, it was like thought of as like, I mean, even the word deformity, but like when people had physical differences, people thought they were like evil expressed externally. So obviously that was like many people who were just born with like birth, like defects and issues and stuff. But then Freud, Freud, like realized that the brain was a thing. And that's when like he, it was during his era that like Jekyll and Hyde came out uh-huh. and like that idea of like, Oh, you can have monstrosity just in your Within, brain. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you can, other people can't even see it. Yeah. And that's like a whole other level of like psycho. So sort of interesting. <laughs> like, yeah, the way we've negotiated monsters throughout yeah. time. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Well, going back to your book, yeah. Uh, there was, so there there are a couple of things that I took from it that I, I'm just curious about. One that is maybe less so about masculinity, but but in a way, yes, which was I was very struck um, that there's there are long passages about your relationship with your wife mm-hmm. that were very moving to me. And mm. I came away with this impression like of the centrality of this relationship in yeah. your life. And I was wondering if you could speak to that because she just seems like She seems like an amazing person and seems like just the person that you needed.
1: Yeah, I think she was. I mean, she is an amazing person. And also, I mean, I think she's an amazing person specifically, but also I think, you know, a lot of this book was about trying to show things you don't normally see when you hear stories about men in general, Mm -hmm. maybe trans men specifically. Mm -hmm. But so the idea of relationships and like how central they are to all of us, you know, and how much like. The person that we live with and who sees us every day has, you know, a say in who we become and yeah. reflecting back to us, you know, our best selves or ourselves, and and how much trust is in that relationship. And I think I'm lucky that I I picked a person to marry who, um, who knows how to do that well. <laughs> and part of that's part of why I liked her so much yeah. in the beginning, you know, but but. I wanted to show that like nobody is an island and I think a lot of the sort of narratives about men are about being self-made and right. and especially men who, you know, have to face some sort of uh obstacle and overcome it like in a boxing story. Yeah. And I really wanted to like show that like all these relationships in my life are part of my becoming, you yeah. know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. My wife, my sister, my brother, my, you know, the my coworkers, like all of these people were part of the community that was forming me.
0: Mhm. Mhm.
2: One of the things that um I was <clears throat> struck by is um, just the way you describe boxing being this thing that, that surprised you for being um, less about violence and more about actually like connection with mm-hmm. um, with other men, right? Mm-hmm. And it reminded me, recently um, the author Kiese Lehman was on uh, the podcast Death, Sex, and Money. He was talking mm-hmm. to the interviewer about playing basketball. Both him and the interviewer played basketball in high school and college. And they both talked about how like actually one of the great things about playing basketball is just like permission to just touch other men Mm -hmm. and just like that be okay you know and and that 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 was something you you discussed in in yeah
1: because I felt like almost touch deprived you know like I was really aware and conscious of all these people around me who were trying to uphold my masculinity which I you know culturally reads as fragile because I'm trans. And, and so they were being very careful not to touch me or to only h- shake my hands on the people who I knew. So it was this almost radical, again, it was like a moment of radical change versus maybe for a lot of guys, like these things slowly f- fade away starting as boy, you know, in boyhood. But mm-hmm. for me, it was like an abrupt, right. dramatic change in my life. And so for that reason, I could clock it. And I felt like the lack of that, especially after my mom died and I was in grief because mm-hmm. it felt specifically like Everyone needs like like you I need a hug yeah to be <laughs> hugged in those moments you know, uh so so I felt really conscious of it and then to be in this boxing gym where you know what what sociologists call the cover of violence was happening so therefore there was no reason to um to have to prove your masculinity and then when you take that away like all of these dudes just wanted to like. I don't know, like hang out and like put our arms around each other. And like, especially after like you hit someone in the face, right. like yeah. you want to maintain the bond, you know? Right. So you have to have the moment after where you're like, we're friends still, like totally. it's yeah, all yeah, good, yeah, you know? Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's funny. Cause, uh, I'll just confess that I've, I've been like really into, um, lifting lately mm-hmm. and like become kind of obsessive about CrossFit mm-hmm. and, <clears throat> And also, like, I don't, I just don't have the time or money right now. But like, want to do Brazilian jiu jitsu and mm-hmm. other stuff. And I definitely think part of why is like, I need to like give myself the permission to do this podcast. Yes, because <laughs> it's like, it's like if I can deadlift three fifty, it's right. cool for me to do this podcast. Right. You know? Yes.
1: <laughs> totally. I think that I think there's something you know unconscious still probably about the way like we you know, whatever, perform our masculinity so that we feel like that cover is there. Like I thought a lot about that with boxing. I'm sure that was part of the initial interest for me is like, I knew if I, if I wrote a book about fighting, I would be able to talk about things you don't normally get to talk about, Mm -hmm. but it was also simultaneously generally, genuinely like so surprisingly, um, Mm -hmm. intimate. And it was like, it was the boxing itself was so subversive that I didn't even need to have the cover. Like, you know, (laughs) like, I think I had the idea that I would need it, but I didn't need it. It was already there, you
0: know. It makes me, I'm not uh, uh, lifting weights right now, but I remember, like, anytime anyone would ask me for a spot, like like the surge of delight in my heart <laughs> <laughs> to sort of like be there and help someone. Yeah. Just sort of like I really literally
2: lift a load for them. Yeah. Like yeah. It, like yeah. that felt so yeah. good to me. Yeah. That's so like, sweet. Yeah. I
1: feel like I'm always stressed when someone asks for that. Like I'm like, <laughs> oh, what if I don't know the right That's I, also always, absolutely yeah. true. I'm
2: always stressed like what if I like intervene too early and yeah. I, like, get yeah, mad yeah, at Yeah. Them. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. There's actually a thing going but,
0: on. Between the two, like Uh, helping someone else or asking for a spot, like way harder for me at least to ask for a spot. Asking Um, for help is a real challenge. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that was part of what I loved was like that these guys who were way stronger than me because they were lifting really heavy shit um, would even ask for help.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting in these spaces that are so hyper-masculine how much you see like like so little of the toxic things in masculinity. Like yeah. it's really true and it's I think surprising to people when you uh if you haven't had that experience because it, you imagine that it'll be like steroidal mm-hmm. and like super violent and everyone's going to be a dick and like it's in my experience it's not been true at all in like locker rooms and boxing gyms and weightlifting situations. Yeah. That's not where dudes are assholes. You're not still fighting though, right? Uh no, I still see my coach sometimes but like not formally training for anything
2: did you was there a reason that you stopped or was it just like you wanted to do it for the project and then
1: yeah it's like I did it to write the book yeah and so I mean it was more that I worked a 60-hour week in journalism and was writing a book on a (laughs) deadline so it was kind of like uh there wasn't any time you know outside of that like I couldn't even really work on the book while I was um while I was learning to fight because it's like five hours a day to train for a fight and then I couldn't figure out kind of the calculus I'm only now just figuring out how to do that as like a fun hobby because it just felt like such a almost like life or death situation to train mm-hmm. for a boxing match that like making that transition to like fun sport hanging out has been a
0: challenge Yeah. <laughs> yeah. for me. Did you, what was your like, like I was just thinking about the premise of this project yeah. and like, what was your physical fitness like before <laughs> you even got into yeah. it? Cause
1: like to take that on. I know it was, it was, it was really ridiculous, but like I, I felt like the project found me, like I really needed something and uh-huh. it like something to throw myself completely into and that became it. So it just had to be that way. But it's not advisable to train for 5 months when you have no experience for yeah. a fight in Madison Square Garden. Yeah. That's like not a smart idea. Like just objectively. <laughs> yeah. Like I remember them parking like the stretcher, you know, next to the, <laughs> the ring like the night of the fight and being like, "Is this am I going to die? Like I don't yeah. know what I'm doing." Yeah. Uh but like I was in okay shape. Like I like lifted weights and stuff and like I'm a pretty active person, but mm-hmm. I'm not I wasn't like in sports condition at
2: all. Do <laughs> do what watch Fights yeah. now? Are you, like, now that you know what they're doing, are you, like, way well, more into it?
1: it's more like I've always, well, I've been a fight fan, but more like in a, like, I like just, it's not so much following the sport in a modern way. It's a little boring. Like, I think right now, like, Floyd Mayweather is an interesting, like, Manny Pacquiao is kind of interesting, but, like, there's not really a person that's as compelling as, like, when you look back at boxing history. So I've always been a fan of, like, sort of boxing, but also boxing in a cultural context like what is it meant to you know what did Muhammad Ali like mean you know it's like a very literary sport in that way so um but I guess now when I go back and watch like when I was training and then we you know we would watch fights like my coach would send me people to look at that like had similar styles as me And, and so he had this like like amazing historical knowledge of the sport and that was really cool because the ability to like sort of see like, Oh, like the, the intelligence my coach has to try to figure out how to take what I've got, which is not a lot. It's yeah. like <laughs> turn it into something. Like he had a whole strategy that really was cool. And then getting to watch old fighters and see like, Oh, that's how he wants me to move in the ring. And like that mm-hmm. part was a really interesting, that is cool. Yeah. Intellectual aspect of boxing. by
2: the way while you're mentioning the coach. So, so the book is called amateur. It just came out in paperback. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in every, every bookstore. Now. Yeah. I yeah. um, hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I saw that you just had an event at a bookstore near my house. Oh yeah. bookstore magic. Magic. Yeah. Um, Such a cool uh, story. So, um, uh, it, it is one of the surprising things that comes out in the book is, is, uh, that your coach didn't know Mm -hmm. until when that you, that you had transitioned. Yeah.
1: Not till the end. No. Yeah. He didn't know. And that like, it was important to me as part of the story that, that me being trans wasn't the story because I really knew and I have been right that it will be it would be such a big part of the story for people like seeing the idea and they can and it in the premise right. and I really felt like this was a book about being a man
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I, I just happened to be a beginner at it and that I, so I wanted to make sure that nobody would be able to read it or look at it and say like well he's only having this experience because he's trans like or he's being treated this way because he's trans like so nobody knew that I was transgender and that because that wasn't relevant to me to the story yeah. you know Um, so, but it was fascinating also to, I don't know, to see how I was treated, you know, without that knowledge and then how I was treated with that knowledge.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's this other, uh, section in the book that I had a strong reaction to, or just Mm -hmm. where, um, just your experience being in the locker room Mm -hmm. and sort of dealing with your own body Mm -hmm. around men and the vulnerability of that. Mm -hmm. And I've like, so instantly felt uh, like my junior high experience. <laughs> <coming out. laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> like wow, this is like what that was. It blew my mind that you could sort of evoke a feeling that I think just about every boy has had. Yeah, um, but That's, like as a thirty-something, it's so cool. I mean, I
1: I wasn't sure that that would be true. I, I mean, I hoped that yeah. what would be true would be some sort of big, humane, interconnected experience, like that I would be able to to hit on with my experience. But I I wasn't sure. But then once I I, I did the whole you know, fight and everything and I trained and then I went back and I started talking to experts and every, almost every expert I spoke to who was a guy like had a story about boyhood yeah. that was really like, like explained first of all why they got into whatever they were studying like mm-hmm. whether it was developmental psychology or history or like something about their own experience of masculinity was echoing mine yeah. and it, it almost felt like T- tapping into this whole network of, of men who are like, yeah, I'm kind of troubled by some of this stuff too. Right. And I want to like change it, but I like, I'm doing it from my really nerdy eggheady right. like yeah. position, <laughs> you know? Um, so it was like, it was cool. It like evoked a lot of interesting conversations. Yeah.
2: This this is a ridiculous question. <clears throat> so I'll, I'll preface it by saying that. Okay. But do you ever feel like you dodged a bullet by not, um,
1: not having a boyhood? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I do actually. I, I think it's a, it's a grief for a lot of trans men to not have had it. but And I certainly like think, um, I wish I could have had a life that felt better to me earlier, you know, mm-hmm. for sure. Like that's profound and dissonant, like to have that kind of dissonance for so long really is great. Like it's degrading of your mental health. So, you know, in that sense, no, but on the other sense, like I, I am so aware of the gift of, of having a mature brain when confronted with social, you know, conditioning and, I feel so lucky that I can see things and then tell other people about them and And I think, I, you know, if anything, the writing the book gave me just so much compassion for boys and empathy for boys and the men they become, Yeah. you know, and, and every conversation I've had with men about masculinity, it's always about boyhood because that's where you learn all these lessons and, and how are you supposed to know when you're 10, you know, yeah. that what you're learning is like gonna potentially be really hurtful to yourself and other people, like, you know?
0: <sighs> I think a lot, you know, like, it's tempting, especially since I'm a, th- therapist to like blame parents and things like that and like thinking about people's uh, the men that I work with their sense of masculinity coming somehow from their fathers and sometimes Mm -hmm. that's true Mm -hmm. but more often than not it's it's like the absence of their fathers Mm -hmm. leaving them kind of like unprepared for what they're about to face Mm -hmm. when they hit puberty Mm -hmm. and I'm just thinking about your like your book sort of reads like like an adult's journeying through puberty like yeah like sort of like let me tell you about these pieces that are happening and like like as an adult i can kind of call bullshit on a lot of them in a way that like you're not really going to know what to make of it yeah
1: exactly Uh. like it felt like it's exactly how i felt i felt like it felt very vulnerable obviously to be like i'm just going to say all this stuff that i'm experiencing that feels really embarrassing or troubling or um like confusing, but I, I just was betting that if I did that, that I would find people who would say like, yeah, absolutely. Like I know what you're talking about. And I found that just doing it in my regular life wasn't eliciting that response. Like, you know, like I would ask my friends, like for advice, like I don't like, what do you do if a guy tries to fight you on the street and no one had any advice. Literally every dude I talked to was like, guys are just like that. I don't know. Or like, (laughs) you know, you're not that kind (laughs) of guy, so just don't fight him. And it's like, that's not helpful. Like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so it just felt like everyone I knew wasn't equipped to, or didn't feel like they could engage deeply, you know, and that, that seemed its own kind of trouble. Like, so I really wanted to, to see what happened if you follow the, I don't know, follow the lie, like the sand reporting, you know? <laughs>
2: um, <clears throat> I, so I wrote a, a novel that came out last year. It's in paperback this year. Okay, and that's thank exciting. you. And, um, definitely the <clears throat> hardest part was just Getting vulnerable and writing about like the most humiliating. I mean, it was fiction, but it was sort of auto fiction. So, writing about the most humiliating stuff that I could remember from being 12 and kind of turning it into fiction. And, um, you know, and and invariably it was the stuff that I like least wanted to think about and talk about. Those were the scenes that like I got the most positive feedback from because so many people were like, oh, I'm so glad that like you wrote about that. I had that experience and felt terrible and lonely or whatever. But I'm just curious, what is it like? Um particularly when you're writing nonfiction, you're revealing all of this really intimate stuff, being yeah. super vulnerable, yeah. not only tons of people are reading your book, but like you're going and doing interviews yeah and talking about like the some of the most painful stuff yeah some you know some traumatic stuff. what is it like just doing this all the time um, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> is, it, is it like um like do you like, is vulnerability like a skill you get, like a muscle you get better at, or is it still feel hard every time?
1: I mean, I think, yeah, in the sense that when I reframed it as bravery, mm-hmm. like, it was very helpful to me, which was, like, kind of what a big part of what this boxing process was, was, mm-hmm. like, realizing that actually it's the same part of me that will tr- train unprepared, like, in, as an unprepared person will jump into a boxing ring and fight yeah. someone. Like, that's brave, yeah. I think. And, like, for some greater purpose that, I, that I'm really trying to serve, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to ask the, a question for humanity like that not to be too grandiose but that's really what I was trying to do and so even though it was maybe not the smartest idea in the world it felt like a brave idea and so I think to me that's the same as you know why would I do that and then not talk about it you know and I think it's been the most effective to have like one on one conversations or Q&As in bookstores or at events with people because everyone wants to talk about this like in my experience like I you know and then the people who haven't those have been the most challenging like people where it's been some NPR person who like they don't have even read the book. They have just been told the premise and I'm being thrown in front of Mm -hmm. them. And, um, in that case, that's where I felt the most friction of like, why am I even putting myself out there? If this person won't meet me, Mm -hmm. like they don't even, they don't want to, to understand this process. And in fact, actually they're doing everything they can to let me know that this is, they're not nothing like me, you know? And that happens with men sometimes too, like a very shut down kind of, but even that I've come to find workarounds, you know, like, asking them questions they ask me, you know, uh-huh. like usually for that kind of interview, the first question I get is, when did you first realize you were trans? It's like literally the most alienating first question for the, for the listener and for you know, them. Cause it's like first step, how are we different? Right. Yeah. Can you just outline it really like in concrete terms so that nobody thinks we're the same? Uh-huh. And that's the <laughs> subtext. So I usually will say then like, well, when did you first realize that you were a, a, a boy? You know, and uh,
2: (laughs) how do they respond when you do that?
1: They they answer the question, and then it actually takes, you know, like I uh, like I think it takes the it makes them aware, you know, because I think after that, like it puts them in a vulnerable place. Because, first of all, that's a vulnerable question,
0: yeah.
1: Like, when did you first realize? I mean, I don't even know how to answer that question. It's not, it's also not a good question, yeah. I'm like
0: trying to answer it in my head, (laughs) yeah. It's like truly not
1: a good question. It's a narrative framework that's about othering and difference, and I think so. That's when I feel. Um, I guess when I feel that there's a resistance from someone else, that's when it's the most challenging, but also maybe the best time to really keep
0: soldiering on with the, the vulnerability, not to mix metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I got to uh, listen to you on a panel a couple of days ago and yeah. you said something that I wrote down cause I was, it made my ears like perk up and was to put you on the spot, wondering if you could expand. Okay. <laughs> which you said there's a lot of joy to be found in gender. Yeah, and I was like, I've never <laughs> thought that before. And that's not my experience. I was and yeah. I don't know, Maybe but you it can set like up hopeful, the context for how, yeah. How I'm trying said, to remember uh, what was the
1: context. Uh, I think that I was saying something which I tried to say a lot, which is like I think part of maybe like part of what's hard about talking about masculinity is that people talk about it so negatively. Usually it's Mm -hmm. like this, and as a monolith. Um, and also the frustrations I think people have who are not cis men are often about feeling like there's not a way to have conversations about gender. And I think when you're the neutral, because you have the most privilege, um, sometimes it can feel challenging to even know you have a gender. Mm -hmm. And so what I've noticed over time is that like, you know, we often think of gender as, like, something women have or something trans people have, but yeah. not something that you have if you're a man. And that, I think, is not only um, dangerous because you don't have an engaged sense of how you're being asked to behave. So, like, that is problematic if you're never wondering, like, huh, that doesn't feel good. Like, why am I doing it? Oh, because it's expected of me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, Maybe that's not what I want to do. Um, but also I think you're missing the opportunity of, like, it's like a whole really basic level of self-expression, you know? Like, we have these sort of, like, pretty binary like ideas about what gender can be but then also so much room to like within that be you know like not just visually but just in terms of your personality construction like engaging with like what is expected of me versus what do I really feel and how am I signaling that I Mm -hmm. think that's kind of a really fun part about being a person if you embrace it as a mode of expression not just a thing you have to defend against or, like, agree to all the time, you know? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I can see the potential for, like, playfulness versus yeah. something that, like, is constricting, which is probably how I'm experiencing it most of yeah, the time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: Like, there's something about, like, leaning into those... Like, eventually I figured out, like, nothing... There's no, like, ready-made model of manhood that, like, just fits me like a glove. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just putting it on and I'm like, great, that's done. Yeah. Like, so if it has to be a process, I'd rather it be like fun for me that like oh you expected me to be this way cuz i got a lot of tattoos and i like yeah. was a fight like i was in a fight in madison square garden yeah. but then really i'm going to talk about vulnerability and that's surprising uh-huh. and like that's fun for me i yeah. think there's something to that that can be enjoyable not just you know like being policed by that all the time
2: one thing that i find <laughs> funny about <clears throat> vulnerability i don't know if you're familiar with Brené Brown mm-hmm. and her work and you know she just had this big Netflix special so she's been on a lot of podcasts lately but um, but and, and i'm I'm a sucker for that stuff yeah but I think it's actually funny how like um, even you said if you reframe vulnerability as courage mm-hmm. right as opposed to what I guess right. the as opposed to what is the question to me because right for a lot of people, vulnerability means weakness. Exactly. Yeah. But it's funny. It's like I feel like vulner like that. Even that framing, vulnerability is courage. It's almost like something that, like we have to say to get dudes to be okay. With I think right. That's exactly why I'm saying it. Like, why? Like, <laughs> like, would it be okay to just actually just be like vulnerability is also weakness, or is that like? But is our it weakness? Kind, or not weakness, but like a kind of. Um, Maybe not weakness, but, like, a kind of uh, softness or, like, um, un... I mean, if you if you don't have your armor and weapons on yeah. you... you're exposed. I think yeah. it's, like, yeah, an exposure.
0: It takes yeah. a lot of either yeah. you need to feel secure or trust someone to right. expose yourself.
1: Maybe, that like, you know the psychology of it. But, like, there's something... I think there's two different ways you can be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's part of the thing. Is, like, yeah. we mistake it... Right. We mistake vulnerability as a kind of, like, a... Surrender or giving up, or like too like trusting victim, or victims being a victim, are vulnerable. right? Yes, yeah. and some people maybe are operating from a mindset where they are sort of being really like, Take anything you want from me, I have no boundaries, I'm right. not, you know, right. and that person is vulnerable in a really different way, yeah, that's not healthy mm-hmm. versus like a choice that comes from like, Yes, being secure in oneself and then feeling like I have this information to share, I have this place I want to connect from that isn't typical, but I think people will, I think if I do it, people will meet me. And if not, Oh, well, like I'll be fine. You know, that feels different to me and, and a braver choice, I guess.
0: I I'm like a lot of times, especially in the beginning when like, if I'm working with a man and they're getting to know me, yeah. um, if I slip up and say like, I'm so touched by your vulnerability right now, like I just watch them like uh-huh. stiffen up and look away yeah. and they don't like it. But yeah. if I'm like, uh, Wow, I'm so impressed by your courage here. It right. uh, <laughs> takes a lot of strength to say that. Yeah. Um then like the, it, it's just more um, syntonic for them. They, yeah. they 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 it they feel affirmed.
1: And I mean it is silly, but also like to your I mean to your point it is silly, but I think it's also like those reframing. It's almost like we need those synapses to connect so that we can start really seeing the truth of what yeah. it is, you know? Right. Like so if that's what it takes to make people see it differently, to make men see it differently, I guess, like, what's the harm? Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. <laughs> That's how I think about it, but yeah. I mean, you're right, I think you're right, it, it's not, it's silly that it has to be framed that well, way.
2: Well, I guess the reason, I mean, I'm just thinking out loud here, but the most sort of, um, typical sort of stereoty- stereotype stereotype adjective for what is supposed to be masculine mm-hmm. would be tough right mm-hmm. and 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 the most typical stereotypical adjective for what is feminine is weak right mm-hmm. in that dichotomy mm-hmm. or tender and, maybe and, or tender sure yeah, and, nice, and i guess um i don't know i i guess i'm i'm uh i don't know i'm just i'm just interrogating myself like why like, why is, is weakness always bad? You know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be weak. I'm terrified of, you know, right. I, 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 you know, and I, I do think, think of myself as like a recovering weakling, Uh (laughs) you know, um, and definitely felt weak as a kid. Right. Um, but I'm also just wondering like, like, so what if I was a kid who like walked away from fights? Like, why isn't that a, a valid form of masculinity? I think it you is, I mean? yeah. yeah. And yeah. I
1: think it's like the words we choose, obviously, are part of how we hear ourselves. So it's like if you're calling it weakness versus like, um, yeah, like the sort of sense to say like this is not something I want to get sucked into. Yeah. It's not worth the like harm that I could cause or that you could cause. And that's so totally it's sensible. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: And not to make this like too much about me, but what you just said reminded me of something like, yeah, Um, I'm, I'm six feet tall. Like I'm, I was always tall as a kid. Like I, and, and, you know, I, I was never like super skinny or actually I was super skinny when I was really young, but for (laughs) most of my life I've not been super skinny. And, um, like I in wrestling matches could hold my own. Yeah. And I think actually part of why I didn't want to fight equally, You know, it was it was equally the fear of like someone breaking my nose, but Mm -hmm. it was also me worrying like, what if I like seriously injured somebody else? Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. and I think I I mean I imagine like that's a decently big reason why a lot of people don't want to fight. They're afraid of actually harming somebody else. Yes, but I'm always so surprised when like dudes who do like to pick fights, I'm always just like, do do you just not have that thought in your head that you could like potentially kill someone or like paralyze someone?
1: (laughs) No. Yeah. It's, it's a funny thing. Like, I mean, that's, it's, it, I mean, it's hard to talk about without thinking about the bigger constructs of why boys are socialized a certain way and how masculinity works. But like, to me, the number one thing about it is like, it's a pyramid scheme. It's like this idea that you police each other and you're like, some guy's picking a fight with you on the schoolyard or in front of your house or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And the point is like, he feels emasculated in some way that some other guy right, just made him feel.
0: Pass it on. Yeah. And yeah. it's just
1: like this ongoing process. And then no one's asking the real questions. Like, why is this even happening? Who's benefiting from this? Like who's, who at the end of the day benefits from this socially in this broad sense? Like we're just all trying to prove Have that we're s- real, which is such a strange concept. <laughs>
0: Have you seen that video? We watched it a while ago. Um, I don't even know that that video. It's like, um, like these two black kids are fighting each other and uh-huh. this guy comes, comes in, in and breaks. breaks yeah. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? And like, yeah. and he's like amazing. Yeah. It's like um, a Jedi mind trick. Yeah. Like yeah. he just like the way he controls like this group <laughs> yeah. of teenagers. Yeah. Um. But also what he, he's saying exactly that. He's yeah. like, who's been like, they're laughing at you. Yeah. Like who's benefiting. Right. Here?
1: It's perfect because he, he is literally disrupting like a moment of like conditioning Yeah. and saying like, what like just think about it. Like, for your own personal freedom and liberation, is this truly the way you want to be behaving right yeah, now? Yeah. And like, the kids are like, no, not really yeah. actually. <laughs> like we're on like some sort of script, yeah, you know? Yeah. And just takes one person to say like, let's not do the script, you yeah. know?
2: Right. Yeah. I love the way he was, I mean, he made, he he put the focus on the kids in the audience that were egging, yeah. that were egging That's the true. two fighters yeah, 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 yeah. on. Yeah. Um, We we, we should, should get, get to, to the advice questions. question. Oh, yeah. but, but can I, can we cheat and ask um for a, a, Pre-advice advice question okay. from you yeah. Since we've been talking about fighting sure. um, I brought this up on previous shows <clears throat> um, I'm just thinking about Like uh, like my son Who's He's actually closer to three now Has mm-hmm. has started to exhibit totally normal forms Of like violence on the playground Just yeah. like pushing kids or whatever He used to be the kid who got pushed Now he's yeah. the pusher um, I don't expect that he's going to be Like a violent kid mm-hmm. But um but i'm just curious like if let's say he's uh, a kid who gets targeted mm-hmm. um on the on the schoolyard mm-hmm. i'm talking about when he's in like say second or third grade mm-hmm. um i real this is like a question i really still have trouble figuring out like mm-hmm. if my son comes to me is like these kids keep you know hitting me on the schoolyard what should i do mm-hmm. i mean my my instinct is to do probably what my father told me mm-hmm. to do which is like to like walk away and like tell the teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but I've been I've been actually listening to a lot of like hyper masculine dude podcasts, like just <laughs> almost just to like see what's out there. Yeah, now that yeah, we sure. Are you podcast. familiar with that world? And, uh, a little bit, yeah. You know everything from like Joe Rogan to Jock yeah, and, so. yeah. and those guys are always like, you got like you got to train Brazilian Jiu Jitsu so that when that moment comes, you kick the fucking shit out of the uh-huh. bully, and uh-huh. and then you'll be fine. And I'm just curious, like, especially having having gone through your experience of of boxing at Madison Square, writing the book about this. Yeah. Um, what would you say to a parent, or if you ever become a parent, yeah. have a son or yeah. a daughter even on a yeah. schoolyard who's facing this kind of thing, yeah, do they is fighting okay is fighting back okay?
1: I think it's nuanced. Like I think I actually think sort of interestingly, I'm gonna align with the man dudes in the sense of the man dude world <laughs> podcast. World, in the sense that I actually think any kid should get training in martial arts or boxing or something even as a small child because it it provides a way to have those conversations but in the context of a safe environment where they're often getting advice like I mean even in boxing it's like you know, my coach was always like, just because you have these skills doesn't mean you should ever use them. You right. know, like if anybody st- tries to start something with you, always walk away unless it's like there's no other choice. And then you know you can take care of and yourself.
2: And even jujitsu, that's the whole premise yes. is to get away. Right. To and escape yeah. from that's the fight. Most yeah. fighting,
1: yeah. most like <clears throat> fighting that is, you know, results in a sport, I think is very, you have to learn to control yourself right? and to express yourself in a, you know, express aggression thoughtfully and to make calculated decisions about what you're doing with your body. And, and so, I think pretending like fighting doesn't happen is I mean I'm not a parent but I I feel like I've been thinking about it a lot and you know, much respect to parents, but like, I think that doesn't sound like it makes a lot of sense because it's probably going to come up at some point. So I think, you know, my advice is to parents who who have asked me that is like, yeah, I would actually put my kid in a martial art, you know, or a boxing training or something just to give the, even just so you can talk about it because they're going to be learning like how to, how to do that. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, they don't have to stay with it or whatever, but just to give the opportunity for the discussion. And I think, you know, like in general, I think engaging the questions of gender showing your kid that you like it doesn't have to be like I use the example of my mom like she was a woman who like was definitely feminine and like very stereotypically like a woman in terms of how she looked but she was a physicist and she like was working at General Electric and she was a single mom and like I understood that she grappled with questions about gender expectations like her whole life and she shared that with me and I think that made me feel more comfortable with my own like questions and 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 I think that's important actually to show kids that Gender is like a thing that's being sort of happening to you, but you also can like, you can, you can change the story as much as feels right for you. And and that seems relevant to fighting too. Totally. Yeah. 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 And
2: similarly, I think like, um, in, in order for us to probably really understand nonviolence, we have to understand violence better. Right. So that's why I think, I think training in martial arts is. Is is a useful thing for yeah. kids. Yeah. It also
0: just makes me think, like if if you understand, especially like <laughs> as a boy, that there are these gender expectations that you don't walk away from a fight. Yeah. Well, then when you do it, you feel like a failure. Right. Exactly. Right? Versus like knowing that that's, well, some people are telling you that's the rule, and suddenly you have agency about I'm going to walk away from it for different reasons. Yes. Exactly. Um, right. Then that's I'm a, not man enough or whatever. Yes.
1: A sociologist who I really love, who I talk to a lot, named Tristan Bridges, told me we were talking about this, uh, not this exact thing, but where. Um, where he feels like boys have the need the most support is around resilience for that mm-hmm. exact reason mm-hmm. because like if you feel like you're always failing at masculinity that's part of where so many violent responses to yeah. you know to, to to that failure come from so if you, if boys can feel like they have some tools to like walk away or do whatever and still in a way that feels, feels to intact. them and, yeah, yeah integrous. yeah, yeah
0: exactly yeah, <laughs>
1: then like then then yeah that can, you're modeling how to roll let that roll off your back in a real way not like a fake pretend like it's not a problem, yeah, but truly sorry, let it yeah. eat away right. and have, cause you shame. And so I think there, there's a real script for that in, um, in martial arts and yeah. in fighting training. Yeah,
2: totally. Yeah. All right, let's get to
0: the okay. question. So the way that we do this part yeah. is, um, I'm just going to read the question and then we're going to like, just talk through the question for a while. We kind of hold back on giving advice and just make sense of it. And, okay. Um, and then usually through talking through it, we'll, we'll arrive at some advice. Okay. Um, Whatever themes, whatever. Okay. Hey, man, I realize as I'm writing this that I'm not sure exactly what I'm looking for from you. I'm 30 and a team lead at a pretty big tech company that was formerly a startup but is now well established and owned by an even big bigger tech company. I've worked my way up in my field, but I'm not satisfied at my job and unsure what to do next. My girlfriend and I have slipped into a very boring rhythm and I can't tell where the relationship is going. We watch a lot of TV and have separate hobbies. We never have sex, and I'm not even sure that I care that much, and I can't tell what she's thinking about things. I also have a daily weed habit that I can't seem to kick. I'm bored when I don't smoke. I have dreams about waking up early, going to the gym before work, and catching up on all the things I'm behind on, but inevitably I stick to the same pattern. I smoke some weed the night before, go to bed late, wake up groggy, get to work late, then I stay late at work trying to catch up and have a few drinks with coworkers before heading home and doing the same thing over (laughs) and over again. I'm in a rut. And don't know how to get out of it. Any advice? Signed, Bored to Death.
2: I feel like uh, maybe I'm not the only one in the world that can relate to uh, <laughs> yeah, <for sure. laughs> being in a mode of doing has, that. It's yeah. been in a
0: rut <laughs> at some point in their
1: life. That's like my version of hell. <laughs> like every time I feel like that, I'm like, oh, God.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and I, I even, it's, I feel like when I was reading it, I was like, so on the one hand you're stuck in this thing, but then there's this other part of you that has this aspiration for something else. So mm-hmm. you know, there's something about it that doesn't feel good even as you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And like that, I I know that place mm-hmm. when you just start to notice like, what the fuck is going on? Right. Yeah. Now?
1: And that hunger for structure, especially like I want to get up early and go to the yeah. gym. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. Something about like things are like that feeling of things slipping and sliding yeah. and not being able to count on a rhythm. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
2: We, well there's two things going on in this question. One is obviously his relationship, which is kind of uh in a static place. Right. Mm-hmm. But also his his situation with like dependency on smoking every night, right? Um and smoking and the, sounds like
0: drinking too. Yeah.
2: And they're obviously all like interconnected. I mean he sounds he's you're the doc doc yeah. here. But he does sound I mean he just sounds he, does sound he depressed. sounds depressed. Yeah. yeah. Um so you know, and, and it sounds like he's like, you know, medicating with this stuff. Right. And doesn't, doesn't, it sounds like he's not really talking to his partner right. much about what's yeah. going on with him. Yeah. I
1: mean, or like, what is going on with him? Like, I don't know either. Like, right. He, uh, he doesn't know. Yeah. Right? What's he like, what's he medicating from or.
0: Yeah. What, yes, yeah. exactly. I, I mean, I, and just, it's like, I, I think we all know this kind of depression, right? right? And so it's it's not like we need it to be like a scary, like capital D there's something wrong with you, but like everyone hits these moments in their lives where there's a kind of malaise and, uh, an avoidance from there is, like you said, what's going on. Mm -hmm. You're, you may have like a trace sense of what you're feeling, but really you're, you're more invested in not feeling anything. Yeah.
1: I always like when I have those moments, it's like, I feel like my body It's like, I've gotten out of touch with myself and my body shutting down like the ways it can. And like, like, so that it can communicate to me, like something is not right. Like, Mm -hmm. it's like, I I won't sleep enough or I'll sleep too much or, or I'm doing escapist things. And then really at the end of the day, I usually have some sort of come to Jesus moment where I'm like, I hate my job or I like don't want to live here anymore or whatever it is. It's like some big thing that I just don't want to deal with that I have to deal with.
2: It (laughs) is. Yeah. I I totally relate to that. Like, Like only after doing lots of the numbing Yes, of course For a long time And then finally waking up and being like God damn it, I got fat again Or whatever Yeah, right (laughs) Then you're like Oh, why am I doing the numbing? But Uh it's funny how it just takes It's so hard to like Just like quickly go to the place of like I'm upset about something Yeah Yeah. Because feeling upset just feels so shitty It's just like It's so much more fun Just to have the drink or to to Well, and Um, But
0: you know, it's like I don't know, it's not it is the feeling upset. I don't know, for me at least, it's like when I feel helpless about whatever it is that I have to do, mm-hmm. like I, the last time I felt this was like, not only did I not have any energy, mm-hmm. but when I finally connected to what was bothering me, like I didn't even know where to begin, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. like, and those, the early steps of solving something feel really bad. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. It's almost like you have to hit rock bottom. And yeah. then be like, I literally don't know what else to do. So I'm just going to take this one step. Right. Like I, <laughs>
0: yeah. that is, yeah. I think, I mean, it's, I, you're right to yeah. say rock bottom. Cause there's so much like substance use going yeah. on in, for this person. <laughs> and, um, and it is like, yeah, it's when that doesn't feel as bad as what you're doing mm-hmm. and how long does it take you to get there? Right. Yeah.
2: It's, hard. um, yeah, I mean, I like hit a point, um, like after my book came out, um, I don't know what it, what it was like for you emotionally, but it's a stressful thing when your first book comes out. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I, I mean, every author I've talked to is like talks about how like, uh, you know, even if their book does really well, like it's still hard. Yeah, it's strange. <laughs> you know, um, and uh, but, but I realized that, you know, I was definitely like taking a drinking habit a little too far. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I've like massively scaled back mm-hmm. on, on drinking and similarly, I had a similar situation in, like, in my late 20s when I realized, like, I was smoking weed every single day, mm-hmm. uh, for a long time, and, uh, uh, and, and it was only after, like, being pretty, you know, upset and dep- I mean, frankly, probably depressed, that, like, mm-hmm. I finally realized, like, all right, I should probably chill on this, mm-hmm. but I think, like, both in both circumstances, um, much more with the drinking than with, with the smoking, but, um... In both circumstances, I actually, like, had to mentally prepare by being, like, not drinking is going to suck. Mm -hmm. Like, this is going to suck for Mm -hmm. who knows how long. But, Mm -hmm. like, I actually had, like, I really had to mentally, like, do some, like, resilience training Mm -hmm. in advance and be like, Mm -hmm. this is not, like because i think like one of the one of the annoying things about like you know self help pop culture advice is like just turn over a new leaf as mm-hmm. if it's a fun thing no. <laughs> turning over a new leaf sucks yeah that's it's true
0: it's actually
2: it's actually super annoying yeah and then like so so stopping stopping drinking like the mo- it was it was a really interesting experience because like i just realized like whoa, like I'm like annoyed or kind of wound up like Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. (laughs) And before it was like, well, now before it was just like, I have an easy way out I just take the edge off. (laughs) Um, but even when I, even when, if I wasn't drinking, I'd be like thinking about, Oh, well like around five o'clock, then I can not be stressed anymore. And it's, it it was just such an interesting experience to like go through the process of being like, Nope, you're going to actually deal with sucky feelings the whole day. Right. And then, you know, eventually, like, I kind of got, um, I don't know, like, it, it, it almost became like a game where it's, like, became, like, fun to see, like, how resilient I could mm-hmm. get. And then, I don't know, it, it kind of, like, spiraled in a positive direction from did, there. But it, but it certainly, it, su- it sucks at first.
1: Did you replace, like... Drinking with another habit, yes, yeah. exercise, yeah. which I think
2: is pretty like the most common one mm-hmm. that people people do. But, but, his, but it's so helpful to do the
1: replacement though. I yeah. Think. yeah, have you ever done something? Yeah, like I quit that? drinking yeah. too, and the same thing, like same idea. Like it wasn't like I had an, I I don't think I was an alcoholic in a sort of clinical sense, but I just didn't like the way I was drinking. Yeah, and I wanted to like. I, I stopped for like nine months, and then I drank a little bit again for a few months, and then I just kind of felt like I don't know, man. Like this is not worth it? Yeah. Like I'm not it's not worth the like learning how to do it well. I'm just going to not do it. Right. Um and I had to replace yeah, replace it with lifting weights and like meditation actually,
2: yeah. which is like meditation. Is, I, I also know Yes. It. Yeah.
1: It's so annoying at first. It's like the worst. <laughs> Horrible. Man. It sucks, but it is genuinely so great, especially if you listen to those guided ones that kind of help you get through the initial mm-hmm. It really helps like with knowing how you feel and Mm. like this guy, he says like, I want to work out or whatever. Like, I feel like he's already saying, here's what I want to replace this habit with. Right. He's like, got this. Yeah, He knows. Like we know our intuitively what we need. Yeah. And I think meditation helps you really get in touch
2: with that. What's your meditation practice like?
1: I I just meditate right now every morning. So like 15 minutes every morning. So simple, but like I do it every single day. Yeah. What about you? Same. Yeah. Same.
2: I try, actually, I didn't meditate this morning, so I'll I'll have to meditate at night, which sucks because I always fall asleep when I meditate at night. (laughs) Yes. But, um... But, so but you're that
0: You're that disciplined about it That like It's you will the make first, sure. thing, first I, thing I, in I mean I have yeah. to
2: drink coffee first Because ah. I, I will get too tired I mean I'm I'm So I can use I some for advice 45 personally 45 minutes If yeah. I can 45 Wow minutes. Yeah if I can Good for you If, if, if I But at least 15 yeah. I
0: feel yeah. like this guy Right now with meditation Where I had a good practice For a while yeah. And now I'm just like Screwing around And I wake up uh-huh. And I'm like Okay I should make coffee And then like I look at my computer And then it's like Well shit now I've got to like Yeah
1: the morning routine Is like So important. Yeah. Like, I feel like I have that down to a, like, I'm rigid about it. Like, it's like a science. Can you wait?
2: Can you just tell us your morning routine? Yeah. I mean,
1: it's really so. I, it's a little different because I, I was living in LA with, without my wife for like 10 weeks. So that's when I developed it. And then she developed a morning routine in New York. (laughs) Uh And then we were like both like merged. Yeah. We were both like, all right, what's your morning routine? Like, we both got weirdly into it at the same time. I guess we were in similar places um, in terms of that need. So now we have this elaborate, like, almost ballet where like she gets up, we get up at seven, she goes and she does her meditation in another room. I do it in our, our room and then she does like something like she has like journaling or something that she does and then at some point she makes this special drink for herself and then I can make coffee mm-hmm. and then she takes the dogs out. I listen to the news uh, and then she comes back and we have breakfast together Lovely. and then also I'm into tarot so I usually pull a tarot card for the day that's just like a guide uh-huh. uh, and it gives me an opportunity just to think about usually I think about intentions when I meditate so I'm like how can my intentions just really trying to solidify an intention practice too. Um, but doing all that work, like I'm not a very grounded person. (laughs) Like I'm really in my head. So like, Uh I need that to like, just feel like I'm even in control of my, my own like life that day. Otherwise I feel so scattered.
2: By the way, meditation, I've, I've been meditating for, I don't know, six and a half years and I do, you know, I'm pretty hardcore, but it It still sucks though because I'm, I'm so bad at, I'm still so bad at meditating. Like I still often will have like a session where for 45 minutes the whole time, like I'm thinking about what I'm writing my next novel. And I'm (laughs) like, damn, the session's (laughs) over. Like, why am I not getting better at this? But, but then, you know, but then like sometimes I'll have a sit where I'm more calm and focused Mm -hmm. and like, even that require it requires resilience to go yeah. back to it because I think a lot of people yeah, falsely that assume that like meditation will like very quickly pay off and you'll become like a chill person. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I think also you don't have to be perfect at it, which is something it took no. me years to realize. Like, yeah. Yeah. actually, just having the intention of doing that totally. is itself such a big thing that helps you. Yes. because even if all you do is like think about other things, like at least you're like. Oh wow, I'm really having trouble focusing. I need to do something else to ground myself today because I'm really anxious or right. something's really bothering me. Like to me, it's it's instructive even when I'm not being successful totally. at it. And <laughs>
2: I've I've learned actually to meditate with a tiny bit of a smile. Mm. And that actually sort of physiologically causes me to have a sense of humor rather than beating up on myself yeah. <laughs> when I'm doing bad at medit- bad <laughs> really. at meditating. I like that. Uh so it's it yeah, it helps. Um but you know it's interesting like i I was thinking about this question we we got an advanced sneak peek at the question, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Uh, okay. in advance, and like i you know i I really was thinking like um i don't want this guy to be overwhelmed with I advice I mean yeah. obviously there's like a thousand things he could do one he could get he could go to a therapist and mm-hmm. actually talk about his problems mm-hmm. right. Um, you know, there, he could exercise, you could eat better. You could just try to quit drinking cold Turkey, all these different things. But I was thinking about like, um, just like one thing that, um, really like absolutely has changed my orientation is waking up early Mm -hmm. instead of waking up late. Mm -hmm. Because when I, when I like, uh, and, and I have to wake up like, Even earlier because I try to wake up before my kids wake Mm. up so that I can have time to like meditate in peace. So I I now wake up at six, right? Right. Which like I my old there's no way I would have believed that I could have ever been a person because I I was a freelance writer for years in the city. So I would wake up you know often at eleven o'clock whatever. But um but I think waking up early is such a like um and it's it's also the suckiest possible thing you can do if you're this kind of dude. Yeah, like it would be brutal the first few times, right? Yeah. But waking up early is such a, like, um, good, like, virtuous circle thing because, Mm -hmm. like, I now, like, truly, um, like, when I'm in situations where I could be drinking or smoking, like, I have to think, like, that is going to make it so shitty when Mm -hmm. I have to wake up at six Mm -hmm. that it actually, like helps me not not even want to do the other stuff and then like once you're I mean you know I mean everyone hates morning people who aren't a morning person I (laughs) used to be one of those people but once you're a morning person you realize like this is awesome
0: (laughs) there is this like just in listening to the two of you and think I feel like I'm this guy not that I'm struggling with everything he is right now but like when it comes to so like I have an intention to wake up earlier but wait, I wake up at 7, but like really should be waking up at 6 to uh-huh. get what I need to get done. Yeah. Um and like keep saying I'm going to meditate and then like either I wake up at 7 or I wake up at 6 and like screw around and don't meditate. Right. And it's like there's something that you're both speaking to about um there's one extra step willpower. to sort of like around around the willpower like around sort of anticipating the consequences or being uh-huh. really clear like I need this. This is what's best for me Mm -hmm. that, like, I find very easy to tune out. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. Well,
1: because it's like taking control. Yeah. It's odd that my wife and I found this out together, weirdly, very recently. It's and that we're now talking about it. It feels very like a synchronicity, but like, it it truly is like the that I'm so with you that, like, making a decision to be intentional about waking up early then makes it like, well, I don't want to wake up early and then just do nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. So then, how do I want to use that time? And then it basically you know, the 30 days becomes a habit thing. It's like, if you do the same thing every morning for 30 days, you just start, like, rebuilding your whole life around that. Yeah. And you are the most, um, sort of the most alert in the morning, even if you're tired. Like, you're the most... And you can cut off, for example, like, you can change your relationship to social media by Mm -hmm. doing that because you can say, I won't look at my phone for the first three hours I'm awake. And that radically changes how you're thinking about the world. Yeah. Because it's not just getting into your you, you know? so So many things can happen in those just very brief few hours that I think if you... Realize that and just, I know it's overwhelming, but also if you take it up as a challenge and are willing to like, like muscle through the first week or two, like Mm -hmm. it really does start to feel a lot better because you're in control.
2: Right. And And it really is, I mean, I really think it only is like a week or two where, where it sucks. That's true. It's kind of like going to the gym. It really is awful. The first time you're super sore, you feel Mm. like shit, you're totally dispirited. And then within two weeks, you're basically in in decent shape and you can do stuff. Um, but uh, but but I like, think like yeah. what just just to yeah. address like I think like um, you know the question of willpower is is this is this tricky thing because like you can't just like advise somebody like just go have, have willpower, willpower yeah. man yeah. like just have some more willpower which frankly a lot of these like bro podcasts mm-hmm. they are kind of all like masquerading and they all basically are mm-hmm. advice podcasts yeah. in a way sure. advice, right but yeah. they all basically are like you just gotta like man up and have willpower like that's what it is. And I think, I think for me, um, like, uh, you know, I think, I think like the, the trick that helped me, well, it was, it was two things. One, I realized how badly, um, I wanted to change. And mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think, I don't think you can change unless you realize how you badly, really to feel that I that. almost feel like he's close to realizing right. how badly not, he wants to not change, quite there, but he's not but quite there. Yeah, Like I had, a, I had, um. Like, it wasn't, like, literally a rock-bottom thing where I, like, did a ton of drugs and, like, woke up in a sewer. But, like, (laughs) I just had an experience where I was, I was like, at a reunion with old friends I hadn't seen in years. Mm -hmm. And I just realized, like, how, like, a a lot of them were parents or professionals with, like, serious drugs. And, like, I just felt like I was, um, like, so... I just felt like I was so, like floating about and Mm -hmm. like unstable compared to these people. And Mm -hmm. like that to me was my moment where I was like, I really, really need to get my shit together. And, and I, I mean, and I, I literally was like during that reunion, I I couldn't sleep for two straight nights. I never have trouble sleeping. It was like, that's the moment I had where I was like, I really, really want to change my shit. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the first, so I, to me, the willpower equation for me, and I'm not going to generalize for everyone was a like, Really, really realizing you want to change. That. Can we just stay there (coughs) for a second? Because
0: I feel like saying, like, I really want to change my shit is, like, a very scary, vulnerable thing to say. Like, like I often am more like this guy. Like, I'd like to do X or I'd like to do Y. But that's different from, like... I need to change yeah. something. Well, I think yeah. part
1: of it too is conditioning because like like my wife is so good at this. Like she is very in touch with her feminine, sort of sacred feminine self and uh-huh. she really believes in her intuition and her gut. And I've learned a lot from her about that because like even if we had a similar socialization, like I really internalize a lot of things about masculinity that I'm still learning. And one thing is like, Just that's, and also actually TV writing, same thing. Like you have to like trust your gut and follow the story. And it's so esoteric, but also when you really do trust your gut, you often know what you need. And I think willpower actually comes from there. Mm. Like you had an intuition, like something is off in this dynamic with my old colleagues and friends and and I don't feel good about myself. And like, instead of just covering up with, with escapism, like I really do need to change this. And that's like an intuitive sense of something's wrong or dissonant and i think we we get so divorced from that feeling that yeah. almost it's so scary when it pops up that it's like oh shit like let's just hide from this versus yeah. Yeah. like actually this is really normal it's part of growth and change and being a person like of course you do things that don't work after a while and you have to change. Mm-hmm. like just part mm-hmm. of life yeah. you know like normalizing yeah. it <laughs>
2: and i right i think so part of it is normalizing failure just yeah. like recognizing that like the path i was on i had, had kind of been a path that had ended up in a kind of failure for me yeah. and just being okay with like all right, that wasn't working, you know? And, but, but it it is humiliating at first. Uh, That's probably why I was up for two straight nights in a row. It's Mm -hmm. humiliating to like admit that like the thing you were doing ended up in some kind of failure. But then like, you know, I mean, a a helpful twist that I made in my head was just that like failure is, um, is interesting. Mm -hmm. Failure is like actually like, I mean, your mom was a physicist. My my grandfather was a physicist. And yeah. like, he talked a lot about like the scientific method, like failure is the scientific yeah. method. Exactly. That's how you learn how to do things better. You yeah. Know? So, um, so yeah, so all of that, you know, all of that had to happen. But the second part, which, which I started out talking yeah. about was just like, um, realizing that, um, changing was going to be painful and, hard and annoying and, uh, and like uncomfortable. And, um, and, and so it was like, but I think in the past, like when I had, you know, when I had been in a rut, but like wanted to make a big change, like I just had this positive attitude about like, yeah, I'll just turn over a new leaf tomorrow and it'll be fine. And I just, you know, um, and, and that left me totally unprepared Mm -hmm. when, you know, 7 p.m. rolled around and like I had had a really shitty day yet again Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. wanted wanted to medicate. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wasn't prepared. And then I was like, all right, let's keep medicating. You know, Um, if I had been mentally prepared of like how uncomfortable it was going to be, you know, I think I think I could have gotten through it better. And that's how I was able to get through the second time. It's also
1: like self-compassion, you know, like for me, like I'm much better at changing when I understand I think when I anticipate failure or things not being exactly the way I'm imagining them in my Mm -hmm. like skipping through the roses like everything's suddenly better and beautiful but more just like I I think that's what you're speaking to around expecting things to be hard it's also like giving yourself a break like that fine balance between not slipping back into a bad habit but realizing that like yeah if you don't know how to do something and you're trying to change it there's going to be false starts or things that like you, you thought it would work but then you have to change again because it's not quite the right way and and not being hard on yourself and compounding whatever the shame that is in the first place like by adding shame of not doing it right I think is really key too.
0: Can I just ask not to go back I know we're in the advice section now but like so like when you were learning to box am yeah. I getting your ass kicked? Right. <laughs> like I'm just wondering what that like I appreciated that in the book like that um, they were sort of the point was almost to learn what you sucked at. Yeah. Or like that your, your coaches also, like you need to learn that stuff. Yeah. I really learned to embrace like
1: failure and vulnerability, like in the ring. And I had a great coach, you know, who in part, like that was part of why, uh, like he was so great was that he was sort of like, you have to work with your vulnerabilities. Like you can't, You know your disadvantages are so on display in boxing. So like you can't no nobody is gonna be able to walk into a ring and yeah you can't pass the ball. It's like everyone can see whatever your your shit is and you can't become perfect like because that's part of the interesting part of the sport. Yeah. So it's almost like you have to work with your own weaknesses. Like in my case, like I was really fast, which was hard because I gassed out a lot, but good obviously because then I could you know be in and out and we had to sort of work with my body and I had to learn my own body in terms of how much energy can I bring without going overboard and then like losing like my capacity to keep going, Mm -hmm. but I'm not a heavy hitter. Like I'm not a huge guy. So like, that's never going to be my strength. And so I need to be able to go in and out. So like, there was sort of this like big metaphor around like, you know, that, and also I was so, um, relentless. Like I just, I used to be a goalie. So like, I just had this, like, I would get in the line of fire, you know, I just didn't care, which was Mm obviously good in some ways, but also could be a weakness because I got hit a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, it's fine. He was like, it's not fine. <laughs> like, you know, so like like figuring out like, yeah, that we all have our own versions of that and getting to know yourself without embarrassment about, yeah, you know, like yeah. no one's perfect and perfectionism is shame. Shame is toxic. It's not ever useful, not a good feeling that helps us with anything. So I think trying to figure out, yeah, like anticipating my own, weaknesses help me make changes.
0: I was listening to this, like, like an older person, mentor type person who I respect a lot. And they were talking about, um, a situation that triggered the, like, a kind of high school feeling of like, who who am I going to sit next to at like mm-hmm. lunch or whatever? Mm-hmm. And I was so struck because I was like, well, obviously I have that part too. Mm-hmm. But when I think about that part, I hate it. <laughs> <I'm Yeah>. Like, <laughs> why am I still so insecure? Right. And and they were so sort of like, yeah, I have that part. It's yeah. okay. Like, I I have you know my insecurities. Yeah, and I was initially like a little disappointed. Like you're telling me that like in 20 years I'm still going to have it. But then it was so like awestruck that they could be so okay with just having that part and you just have yeah. to, you just live with it. Right. And that's where meditating's helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say that's, yeah.
2: that's, that's really like, um, the, the Jedi move in meditation mm-hmm. is, is, um, just to like recognize that, um, you know, certain like habitual thoughts come up and, um, you know, like, like I even have like character names for this. This isn't a move that I made up. This yeah. is like uh, teachers teach this. Like you can have character names for certain insecurities that like constantly come up. Mm. You know, if you know, you feel bad about your body, you know, whatever you could have mm-hmm. a character name about that, mm-hmm. that guy that, yeah. you know, pops up when yeah. you're feeling bad about your body or mm-hmm. you're feeling scared about, you know, um, who to sit next to at lunch, you know, but, 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 but it's this nice gentle thing where it's like, you're not scolding yourself, you're not making fun of yourself, mm-hmm. but you're just smiling at the fact that like, oh yeah, this is, this is a familiar, mm-hmm. a familiar friend, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> here, here's the friend, you know, here's still
1: like not identifying with it. Yeah, exactly. You're identifying with the bad feeling and you're not identifying with the voice. It's like, you just watch it and you're like, oh, right. okay, that's a thing that happens. Right. Yeah. And there's something about that that feels like you, there's other choices
0: now. Right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah totally
0: I'm sort of pleased with I feel like we've teased out three different strands i will see if I can summarize them I mean the one which was the easiest is the very broy. like you just gotta draw a line in the sand <laughs> yeah. you gotta do something maybe it's waking up early but like you gotta you do have to change something mm. um, then the second is this more like, self, like cultivating self-compassion mm-hmm. and maybe in between those two is like an accept, like th- this acceptance of needing, you, like sitting with needing to change and wanting, you want something to be different, mm-hmm. and like that this person sort of, like that's okay. It's okay to fail and, and trusting guess, maybe yeah. trusting that
1: you actually know what it is, mm-hmm. and like if you do sit with yourself for like seriously twenty minutes and just make it a mission to just be open to, like, whatever, like, I bet you this guy will immediately know, like, either something, even, it's just, like, the gym thing, like, if yeah. that's the thing, or the quitting weed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a big fan of medicinal marijuana, so I'm not sure that that's necessarily a negative thing, but if he feels like it is, yeah, you know, whatever it is, there's yeah. something that's going to come up, and he just needs to start.
2: You and know? To be clear, I am I am a fan of it, too. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm only not a fan of it for people who, like, clearly... Don't, don't about feel don't feel in control about it. Yeah. yeah. As yeah. a <laughs> parenthetical
0: aside, I was thinking like <laughs> while reading this, like I'm not sure. Like it it is such a shitty thing about like smoking or drinking. Like when you're doing it, like like they feel really good, yeah. you know. And it's really like so it's hard for someone in this position. Like they make you feel better. They yeah. really do. Like that's not why you're doing this. Yeah. You know. And, and
2: also like both the other thing is like both of these things are. Relatively innocuous, and drinking is legal, and weed is basically legal yeah. now, yeah, so they both feel like you know he's just he's just and having fun yeah, you get yeah. to be like you get <laughs>
0: yeah. to be more of the person you probably want to be like yeah. you're chiller you 're more maybe you 're more social or yeah. you just think fun thoughts, whatever it is that you yeah. like about it
2: by the yeah. way, i don 't know what it was like for you when you stopped um drinking, but one of the things that and and i 'm not like cold turkey, i 'm just mm-hmm. severely reduced from <laughs> what I used to be, but one of the things I was most scared of was like going to a party. I'm like, yeah. how am I possibly going to talk to anyone? Yeah, And it was sure. so funny. It was like, all it took was like two parties. I'm like, oh yeah, like I know how to actually talk. You just like talk to people. Yeah. Like it's not <laughs> that hard. It's
1: like not that hard. And also the people that you don't want to hang out with unless you are, happens something a drink, like very quickly you realize who those people are and it's <laughs> kind of like, these aren't people I actually want to be around. You know, yeah. that was very few people uh-huh. for me. It was like mostly like prizing my sleep over like, you know, like it's like, if I go out now, I still go out to bars with people like if they want sometimes, but like, yeah, there's like a bedtime. I'm like, right. I'm, I, I was tired then. I just didn't know, you know, uh-huh. and now yeah. I know I'm tired at like yeah. 10 PM. Yeah. <laughs> the One thing,
2: one thing we, we, um, half joke about a lot. is just that I think for a lot of, uh, guys, um, uh, they feel like really scared to hang out with their male friends unless they're a little yeah. bit drunk yeah. You know yeah. or ideally watching some kind of sport while right. they're a little bit drunk right because yeah. they're just like afraid to have mm-hmm. a conversation sober yes. in some way. That does Yeah, seem it's like true. needing like something to do with your hands uh, yeah. And yeah. You quit smoking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but
1: yeah. I feel like you find it. I mean right like yeah. you just do like it just yeah. It's like maybe it's a little awkward like being uncomfortable isn't bad yeah, It's like, a, it's part of every process of growth that you have in any part of your life. So like, I, I think we need to like de- demystify that as like, you know, it's something that needs to be avoided at all costs. Right, it's yeah. good.
0: I, I guess it... <laughs> it's, there's this fear, like I'm ready to show up and be awkward, but like, are they, and right. are they going to think it's super weird that I'm like down to like, just hang
2: out? Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe, well, but then that's their own. Right. <laughs> no, I remember like saying to my friend, like, um, I've already had coffee like an hour ago. Do you want to just go have a tea? And like, he was like, sure. Uh-huh. And it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah.
1: I've had yeah. a lot of friends say that they are glad I don't drink because it like takes the pressure off. Like, Mm. it's a surprisingly common thing for people to say, like, like, we'll be out to dinner and they're like, do you want to drink? I'm like, oh, I don't drink. And then they're like, oh, thank God. Like, I, you know, which I mean, is its own thing. Why are you even? By the way, just on that
2: note, like, uh, I think a hilarious thing. How are you? You're in your late 30s. Yeah. Okay, so we're like all the same age. So like one thing that I just find really funny now about being in my late 30s that I've noticed going to parties now. Like Lacroix is more oh, yeah. drunk than beer, mm-hmm. right? and like so like like I had a birthday party for for my son last year, and I like was stressed about like I was stressed about that because I wasn't drinking. I'm like, oh, is, is this going to be no fun for me? Yeah. I bought all this beer, and I bought like what I thought was a huge amount of Lacroix. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and like
2: all of the Lacroix got drunk in one second, and like That's nobody true. was drinking, and yeah. I was like, oh wow, like that like. This is different from being in your twenties yeah. when, like, everyone mm. would be drinking the beer mm-hmm. and like only a couple people would be drinking the seltzer <laughs> at the though. end of the night. You know, it's actually like more common than you think that it's like a really lot of true. people are okay with not drinking. Yeah, yeah.
0: Anyway, um, do you how do you how do you think we did with this?
2: I I don't know. I think he has some. I, I like not giving him a a one overarching piece of advice, mm-hmm. but lots yeah. of different thoughts. Yeah, like you like know. he needs
1: to get in
0: touch with himself and you know. Yeah, I mean, I, out I what think he wants. it is. I think psychologically it's valuable to like pick something. I think that was the theme of the, of the first part of the advice. Like yeah. you you do have to sort of like find a way to do something, whether that's waking up early or taking a break from smoking weed, it feels really good to have said I did something. Pema right.
2: Children who have you ever read any mm-hmm. of her work? Mm-hmm. I think I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Yeah. Maybe it's Pima. Anyway. Yeah, it's Pima, she said, um, anything non habitual will do. I mm-hmm. love that. It's just uh-huh. such a like pithy, yeah. but it could be anything yeah. Yeah. if it's waking up, but anything non-habitual will yeah. do. <laughs> it disrupts it. Yeah. yeah. And,
0: yeah. and that's also just to sort of cultivate a space where, right. He doesn't quite know what's bothering him yet, but like you will, you just have to kind of open yourself up to it mm-hmm. um, and then take it from there. And then not give yourself a hard time. Like yes, once you exactly. discover what that is, it's not yeah. about
1: then beating yourself up more. It's just like, Oh, that makes sense. Why I was feeling so mm-hmm. like, you're going to uncover what the underlying thing is, which is what right. you're scared of in the first place. Exactly. So like, be okay for that, like open to that. And right. As much as you might
0: think it's a failure, it's a success to have figured it out. It truly
1: mm-hmm. is actually, because yeah. then you can change whatever is not working, yeah. which is truly the failure. Yeah. Yeah. Totally.
2: yeah. Um, so we like to, um, conclude by asking our guests for, um, <clears throat> a piece of advice that they have received at some point in their life mm-hmm. that, um, has stuck with them and just proved useful and mm-hmm. we're wondering if you have anything that comes to mind.
1: Yeah, so I was thinking about it and like this is like kind of an intense piece of advice, but I feel like it's worth like mentioning, which is like it's it's really an important part of my book. It's when my when I was little my mom told me that we all have a golden core mm-hmm. and that nobody can touch that core. Mm-hmm. And she told that to me as like I was a kid who was abused by my dad and this was sort of her advice to me is like there's places that exist within you that cannot be to, you know, cannot be corrupted by other people and other things. Yeah. And it was really a helpful framing for me for my whole life. Like, yeah. and I think it's actually a big part of my allergy to shame is realizing that like, you know, anything where someone is trying to convince you or, or you're trying to convince yourself that you're fundamentally bad yeah. or wrong or that you are incapable of, like existing on this planet in some sort of way that's meaningful is, is, is not true because you do have something in yourself fundamentally Mm. that is good. Mm -hmm. And we all do. And I think it helps me see when I see other people that way, because it makes me really think anyone is capable of touching into that part of themselves. And when you believe that about people, then they do. So it's kind of like a, it's like a useful constant thought. And then for myself, it's like, it helps protect me against, you know, the shaming that I do experience a lot, right. like from the world around me. And I just have like a nice shield where I'm like, yeah, there's places you can't touch me. And I really protect that.
0: All right, everyone, that's it for our show this week. As always, you can email us at gmanpod at gmail.com. And if you have a question, uh, consider leaving us a message at 917 426. 4326. That's 917 426 4326. And I'll put that number up in the show notes. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter. We're not doing much on Twitter right now, but a lot on Instagram. Either way, you can find us at Hey Man Pod. Um, and wherever you listen to podcasts, consider giving us, don't consider, please, please give us a five star review or however, you, however many you feel, but I feel like it's a five star podcast you know, um, we'd really appreciate it. It helps other people find out about the show. It's, it's the main way that people will find out about the show really besides word of mouth. So give us a five-star review and tell, uh, your friends. Thanks so much and have a great week. You're listening to Hey Man. Welcome, everyone. My name is Avi Klein. I'm a psychotherapist, and I'm joined by my co-host, the novelist, Sam Graham-Felson. And each week, we're going to answer your questions and hopefully get a few of ours answered as well. And today, we're going to do it with the help of a guest, and our guest is Polly Steinman. Paulie is the owner of South Brooklyn Weightlifting Club, which he uh, owns and runs with his wife, uh, Rebecca, and he is uh heavily involved in USA powerlifting. Uh, he's a member of the executive committee there, uh one of the coaches and an instructor uh for the coaching courses there. Uh and so if you if you like lifting weights, uh this is a good conversation. But I should also add that what was really cool about talking with Polly uh is just the guy had has a really wild story, a really interesting background, a really um, meandering kind of career. He worked in film for a long time, and then left that um, and started uh, like a t-shirt making uh, company, and then from there uh, opened his gym. But in the process, uh, also uh, more or less lost everything and uh, was. Uh, about as close to homeless as a person can get because he was living out of his gym. Anyway, it was cool to talk to him. I think we all kind of have that fear of like what would happen if I tried something and failed. And he does not have that because he's lived through uh, some really difficult experiences. So I found it really inspiring. He definitely has a coach's vibe, which is a mix of tough love and instilling confidence. Um, and the advice question is a really funny one, I think. It's not funny. It's not funny. We talk about hair loss. Uh, I can say it's funny because, uh, I'm going through hair loss. I don't have a lot of hair right now anyway. So it's funny, you know, Uh, it hurts your confidence. What are you going to do? Um, and, uh, Polly more or less brings the same approach as a coach to giving advice. Um, and I think that's good. It helps you get over yourself. Don't worry about it so much. So anyways, I hope you enjoy, give it a listen, and uh, peace. Hey man, you're listening to Hey Man, the advice podcast for men. I'm Avi Klein, welcome. I'm a psychotherapist in New York City, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sam Graham Felsen, uh, the, the novelist, author of the book Green. And each week, we're going to answer your questions. And sometimes we even get some of our own questions answered as well. And when we can, we do it with the help of a guest. And we're really lucky today. Our guest this week is Amen Ismail. If you don't know Amen, um, after you listen to our podcast, you should go check out his podcast, which is great. It's called Man Up, it's through Slate. He is an award winning podcast host, video editor, photographer and a writer. Um, He writes mostly about um, identity and religion. He wrote and produced uh, this video series that you may be familiar with called Who's Afraid of Amen Ismail, um, which is great. I highly recommend it. Um, It's about um, making sense of Muslim stereotypes, Muslim American stereotypes, both from the perspective of, uh, I guess, what you might call like like the the adversaries uh, of, of Muslim Americans. I'm thinking of like Fox News right-wing types and also um, American Muslims and how they relate to some of these stereotypes and are any of them true or is there merit to them? Um, he does it in a really compassionate, kind way and uses himself a lot. He's a great storyteller, as you'll hear in this podcast. And um, anyways, I, I think you'll like that. It's the kind of thing you know, I, I don't know. I, I read the news a lot. I, I feel like I'm a a well-connected person. I was a religion major in college. I feel like I know, uh, I even thought about uh, focusing on Islamic studies for a while. So I felt like I know a little bit about something, but his series and the way he talks, you, you realize like you're learning so much about uh, a divi- diverse community and diverse experiences and the human element what it, the lived experience of of growing up in that community and the complexity of that for good and for bad right cuz we're all people um and he, he does he's just does a wonderful job of conveying that um my particular favorite of the episodes from that series i just want to give a shout out uh is the Ramadan one where he uh he talks with all of the halal food guys in New York city who are fasting and running their food carts during Ramadan. And I don't know that, that just, I really like that. That storytelling device gave a lot of humanity, um, to these guys that you see everywhere. You don't know their experiences, but the idea of them making food for all these New Yorkers and not being able to eat it themselves really touched something in me. Uh, his podcast right now, man up, is also great he does similar stuff in terms of using himself to explore uh masculinity relationships race family sex all of it it's really good highly recommend it uh you should uh go out and give him a five-star review wherever you're wherever you're listening so uh, check it out oh i should add uh our advice question uh is a good one. It it got cut short a little bit because we had so much fun talking with Amen just about uh, his life and different experiences. So I feel like we shortchanged our question asker this week. I'm sorry, but... And honestly, he was asking such an important question. I don't know. Maybe we'll come back to it sometime. Um, it deserves it more time than we gave it, but I think in the short time that we did talk about it, um, we got... Um, we got some good answers and we're recording this in the middle of June. Uh, it's pride month. This question asker was not really, was, he's not uh, gay, although he identifies as bisexual, but, but the question of coming out, I think was a big theme here and, uh, the painful feelings that come up around telling your family member something that is going to hurt them and how you deal with that. So give it a listen and enjoy. All right, everyone. That's it for our show this week. Uh, As always, if you have a question, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to put your question up on the show. You can uh, email it to us at heymanpod at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail, if you're brave, 917-426-4326. We can put it up on the air if you just want us to transcribe it and not use your voice, let us know. That's fine too. But I think, I think it would mean a lot to other people to hear from a a real person instead of just hearing us read, read your words. So think about it. You can find us on Instagram or Twitter, much more active right now on Instagram than Twitter, but hopefully going to change that soon at Pod, And uh, could you just take a moment, please, like right now, or finish listening to me and then right after, uh, we could, we'd really appreciate it. If you like the show, give us a five-star review. If you don't like the show, give us a five-star review because someone else might like the show and that would help them find it. Uh, and we'd really appreciate it. And all of these podcast sites, their algorithms, that's how it works. Um, a review, uh, written words would mean a lot too. Um, don't just keep your good feelings to yourself. Share it with the world. Thanks so much and have a great week. All right, everyone. That's it for our show this week. Uh, As always, if you have a question, we do not have the answers, but we will still talk about it. So get in touch. You can send us your question at heymanpod at gmail.com or even better, leave us a voicemail at 917 426 four three two six. I was being snarky when I said we don't have the answers. We don't have the answers because you have to live your life and life is complicated. But we have good ideas. I think we have suggestions that are helpful. So I think I think you'd get something out of asking for help. I didn't mean to be so dismissive. Don't waste your time, but it won't be a waste of time. Uh you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter, Hey Man Pod. That's where you find us. More active on Instagram we have uh quotes from that week's episode. We have, uh, some, sometimes we share some things we're reading or watching, things like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a good way, you know, it's just a good way to engage with us uh, and engage with the show. Um, and if you have a moment, can I just ask that you give us a review, um, on whatever, platform you're getting your podcast from because it really helps other people find out about the show um, and I think other people will really like it and you could if you like the show that's just a little way of uh, of passing passing it along and letting us know you appreciate us should feels good feels good you should share what's in your heart all right have a great week talk to you soon talk to you next week bye